And that was a real break for me. That was a real, like that was, there was a lot of growing um, and finding things out about myself and investigating into myself that I've been doing up until that point. But that was like, okay, I'm doing something fundamentally wrong about how I'm approaching my relationships and how I'm approaching how I show up in the world. Hello, friend. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're listening to Your Spin Out is Gorgeous, a podcast of communion, a place where we connect within the full spectrum of humanity. My name is Natalie Q, and I'm your host. I'm a mother, a lover, a friend, and your fellow human. What I want to offer you is liberation from the cultural foists, the narratives that are thrust upon us and guide much of our experience here on the planet. I'm with you on your journey of unlearning. What if everyone you knew was pursuing a life of whole self-integration, witnessing and offering thanks for all that they are, warts and all? That's not just self-care, that's true, unconditional self-love. And I want to be there with you as you set your life and all the things that aren't serving you alight. With you as you bravely consider life from another perspective. Let's explore all things humanity without the veneer, together. Life examined, not just the pretty parts. You in? Let's do this. Hi, friend. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you very much, especially your patience. I know we've had a little unforeseen gap here. And I just want to say, you know, as I've said before, I need to offer myself grace. Also, I'm I'm here for the long run, not the sprint. If I were here for the sprint, I would probably be more um, concerned with absolute consistency, <laughs> but these times are funky and, um, I really appreciate, I cannot remember who it was that I was listening to. It was a podcast and I don't remember if it was the host or the guest, but they mentioned that whenever you're doing something big, whether it's starting a business or writing a book or something like I'm doing, putting myself out there, um, where my work intersects so much with my own personal life and story, it's going to bring up a lot of your shit. (laughs) So that, um, in my own healing journey of which, um, speaking about it publicly both here and on the TikTok is such a um, an accelerant for my own spiritual work, my own shadow work, my own healing journey. It also is something that um, I got to marinate in sometimes and I got to just rely on the fact that what I've put out there is a library that's accessible at any time. So If you're missing me, um, go back and maybe listen to some episodes you haven't heard before or go back and re-listen to something that you listened to a few months ago because you never know how um, the same information can be heard so differently. So in my own mind, I do get a little like stress like, oh my God, I need to be online. I need to be on my Instagram, which I've let go for over a week. I need to be doing a TikToks, which I haven't done for five days. This is um, like what, a week and a half late on this one. But like I said, in my own mind and for everybody else, sometimes you just have to rest on what you've already accomplished and not exhaust yourself. So that's where I am. And I want to lead by example that to me, that's what I value over absolute rigidity, militancy of um, consistency. Ooh, I'm spitting bars here. (laughs) That's a bop right there. Good God. Anyway, so thank you. Thank you for understanding that. And I hope that that's an invitation for you to um, 
offer more grace to yourself and where you fall short uh, by society's metric. But by my metric, if you're feeling that way, there might be a reframe that you're actually showing yourself a lot of self-love. And if you're doing that publicly, you're offering that invitation to other people. So um, I am so excited today for my guest, Sydney Ward. Now on the TikTok, what has been most resonant and what's been going on is the mother wound, father wound. If you haven't caught those little clips on TikTok, I invite you to do that, Um, especially if you really only listen to me here but I might be missing if you haven't seen me on the TikTok. That's somewhere where I'm a little bit more, a lot more (laughs) consistent. So um, this message is really landing and I'm really, really, really passionate about these wounds and the healing of them and the way that they show up. And so today we're going to be discussing the father wound. Next week will be the mother wound. And um, after that, I want to talk. It's so funny to me that um, somebody described uh, it was, hi, I'm Chaewon on TikTok, who is a very famous witch talker, described my podcast um, as a shadow work podcast. And I was like, wow, I've never thought of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Yet I've never done an episode on the shadow specifically. So I really look forward to that after the mother wound next week. But for now, let's get into it with Sydney. She is an energy healer and intuitive guide. She works with women who are stressed out and exhausted, feeling off or experiencing challenging transitions. Through her work, she helps people spark their natural ability to heal, to develop meaningful connections between mind, body, and spirit, and to be empowered in their inner knowing and their healing journey. She's certified and trained in yoga, Reiki work, sacred geometry. She has extensively personally studied tarot, energy medicine, moonology, meditation, and Celtic shamanism. So um, she is a wealth of knowledge. Mostly today, we're going to use her personal story as an allegory for understanding ourselves better, um, both personally, if we may be um, carrying the father wound, but also from the societal perspective of how these wounds in the collective are societal wounds. So without further ado, here she is. Thank you so much. Okay, Sydney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better and lay some groundwork and context for what we're going to be discussing today with the father wound. So what, tell us a little bit about you and your story and and how you see things within regards to the father wound, et cetera. Yeah. So I, um, I'll start with where I am now. I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> I live here with my husband and my two cats. And um, I'm not from here, so I'm, I'm a transplant. Um, growing up, I was from a little bit of everywhere, which is, is in a way part of my story. Um, the current day, I no longer have an active relationship with my dad. I haven't spoken to him in six years. Um, And it is something that I do. I wish it was different. Sure. I I don't think anybody can honestly say that they wouldn't, (laughs) but um, it's not something that I lose any sleep over. Um, Growing up, my, I grew up in two separate households. My parents were divorced and my father um, was towards me, he was very, um, manipulative and, um, yeah, emotionally abusive in sort of a 
not a subtle way. It wasn't subtle by any means, but um, was constantly using guilt and shame to try to get me to agree with him or do what he wanted or um, to promise that I would do things in the future. Like, for example, the laws in Colorado um, at 12, unless there's um, like a significant significant event that, that would prohibit it, uh, a child can decide which parent they want to live with. And so from a very young age, my parents got divorced when I was three or four, he would make me promise every time that I was leaving that I would, that when I turned 12, like if I was leaving to go back to my mom's, when I turned 12, I had to promise that when I turned 12, I would go to the court and tell them that I wanted to live with him. And like, I, you know, I wanted to make him happy and I didn't want him to be sad and he would cry and wail. And it was like very emotional. And, um, as I got older, I started to see other behaviors as well. Um, he wanted a boy. So I was very much a tomboy and (laughs) I, uh, adopted the, um, the interests that he had, the likes that he had. I would, um, in some ways I would like perform for his friends, this role of like rugged, tough girl. Uh, and not that that wasn't sincere, but it was very one, one dimension of who I was and who I was becoming. And as I got older and as I grew into more womanhood, I started to see and experience, um, more, uh, like degradation just for being a woman. He was Mm -hmm. very, um, yeah, very sexist and not kind to women and didn't cast them in a kind light, including my mother and every woman in my family, (laughs) um, including his mother and his sister. And he, um, aside from the emotional abuse, he never physically abused me, but he did. I did see him hit the women that were in my life. I saw him hit, um, my stepmom, hit his girlfriends after that. Um, I never saw him hit my stepbrother, but I saw the aftermath. And in one particularly violent incident, um, the ambulance had to come and take him away in a situation where, where, you know, he was really looking out for me. And, um, all of that created this system of existence for a significant part of my life, um, that created this chasm inside of me that I, I didn't know how to appropriate address. And I didn't even really know that it was there <laughs> until, mm-hmm. um, I started, you know, developing more and seeing other people's families more and understanding their relationships more and seeing how I interacted with other people and the defenses that I'd built were different than, than some of my peers. And, um, how so? yeah, I, I was always known for having a pretty quick temper. Um, there were, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get in, in trouble a lot for being like angry or a bully or violent or anything like that. And in middle school, I was bullied, but there were kids who knew like, don't press don't, or who thought like, don't press Sydney's buttons because she will lash out. Um, and it was like this, if I'm, if I'm the biggest, toughest version of myself, then no one can hurt me as much as I'm already hurt. And that was like this thing and very much having up this, um, it was really this duality of like, kind of always being on being in performance mode, being in like, uh, you know, I wanted everyone to like me, I desperately wanted to be liked and loved and valued. But when I didn't receive that, or if I didn't receive it in the way that I that felt good to me, um, then I would just turn a switch and it'd be total mm-hmm. opposite. And it'd be like, okay, well, if that's how you feel about it, <laughs> here's and I would just write people off. And even as my my and that was, you know, 
pretty young. And even as my temper waned, when I, you know, got into high school and early college, um, my relationships with women in particular, my friendships with other women really suffered because I would, I would completely write people off for like the smallest offenses that I was having a really outsized reaction to. And I had this idea that women were more difficult to get along with than men and that men were more reliable, (laughs) which is like the, the, not, not that that's untrue, but that dichotomy cast in that way was very much a reflection of these attitudes that I had um, grown up around and been not necessarily indoctrinated by, but really into my subconscious, this idea that, you know, um, women are catty and women aren't trustworthy and, um, that like, if they can't handle the tough, like the tough version of me, then they aren't worth my time. And that is like such a, it's like a weird role reversal in a way. And it is part of that like cycle of abuse that like, you know, granted I wasn't like walking around getting into fights with people, but (laughs) it's still that, um, in a different way, like that's still the cycle of abuse. And that's still that, that wound showing up in my relationships. And I remember actually it was funny. I posted something on Facebook naturally at like 19, (laughs) like something about like, I don't have any women friends and women are hard to get along with and whatever, whatever. And a gal that I went to high school with messaged me and she said, Sydney, if you really feel this way, I need to talk to you. I need, I like, we need to have a conversation. And this wasn't even someone that I was especially close with. She had just reached out to me and was like, I cannot adequately explain to you the value of relationships with women. And like, if this is something you're experiencing, I want to, I want to open it up for us to talk. And that was one of my first experiences with someone who was just like selflessly interested in my well being and selflessly interested in wanting to help me understand myself better. Mm-hmm. without some kind of agenda, without some sort of like, I want you to do or be this on the other side of this conversation. Yeah. That sounds so like a version of Stockholm syndrome Oh, yeah. We, we haven't t- covered your mother. I don't really know what she's like. I don't really know if that will be pertinent to the conversation. But it just is like this man so deeply hurt you. And then you're running into the arms of other men with your walls up that women are this way, which I think is so, so common. And why I mentioned this to you as we were before we pressed record. Um, I can't remember. I'll link it in the show notes whose Instagram it was, but she had crossed out mother wound, father wound, caregiver wound, and in place put societal wound, which does help take the heat off some of our parents like mine who were great people, but I still have these wounds because ultimately that is the societal wound of misogyny. And I made Mm -hmm. a TikTok as well that covered um, if a mixed race child is experiencing a mother wound or father wound from a parent who is from their white parent, right? Racism from their white parent, what a wound. The misogyny of of, of a father with daughters, but also the internalized misogyny of a mother who then has a subtle preference for her son. And I cannot underscore how important these are to explore as the societal wound, caregiver wound, father wound, mother wound, whatever you want to 
label it is only as useful as it helps you understand what we're talking about. And what Mm -hmm. we're talking about is the scars left by children about their own gender, scars about their relationships with other people of other genders that are formed. I think I can see it too. The the father wound is so performance-based. I must perform for love. I must be your little clown. I must be your little pet. I must be tiny and invisible. Now I need to be big and bold and I need to be whatever you need me to be. And mm-hmm. that is a very performance for the the gender that is in power, which is men. So there you are performing for men. And what does that leave you for with your relationships with women, you will then absorb this internalized misogyny that everything you're doing will always be for male approval. And women are there as something to put down, (laughs) just like Mm -hmm. men are doing, because we need to be what the men need us to be and perform those roles whatever it is. I'm performing the role of the nasty girl. Now I'm the good girl. Now I'm the girl that cooks all the food. Perform, perform, perform for love and acceptance. And let me just perform my hatred of women too. If that will please you, I will do it. It's Mm -hmm. very damaging. What an amazing story that um, someone could help you help illuminate that for you. So take us back, go name Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Welcome to my <laughs> talk. Thank you for my sermon. Back to your story. Word salad. Anyway. Yeah. So, so this friend helps you out. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I, at the time I didn't even have a conversation with her. oh my lord that's so funny and it wasn't like I didn't I didn't brush her off and was like you're wrong you're whatever but it was like it was this seed that was planted that I was like uh I think I'm missing something (laughs) I think there's something uh incorrect Mm -hmm. in my processing here um were you embarrassed did you feel a sense of shame um not at the time but mm-hmm. in in retrospect, I certainly do. Like looking mm-hmm. back, especially, um, you know, it wasn't so prevalent in in like middle school, high school. Um, this like divide for me between between like men and women. And in, in middle school and high school, I had almost exclusively really close girlfriends. And like, um, but a lot of my relationships fell apart for different reasons. A lot of my friendships fell apart for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And um looking back, I can point at all the things and be like, oh, it fell apart because I had this mindset about this particular issue that maybe wasn't, not maybe wasn't, that wasn't healthy. That wasn't healthy. And I was so stubborn about it. And like, well, one of my dad's things was like, he would say, you know, it's my world and you're just living in it. He would explicitly say that? Oh yeah, out loud. Like that. (laughs) Because a lot of people embody that, but they don't say it. Oh no, you know, out loud. (laughs) Wow. And it was like, it would come up in situations where it was like, it would never be, if it was a, if it was an emotional or a violent situation, it wouldn't come out then, but it would be in situations where it was like sort of joking, like lighthearted, but anyone who, who knew him well enough knew that there was a very real threat underneath that. And like, he, I mean, he spent a lot of time conning a lot of people into thinking he was a certain kind of person. And 
that's a, that's a whole other piece of this. <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, I, then when I got to college, I, I was in a, a program of study that was primarily men. There were a lot of classes that I was the only or one of a few girls in my class. And, um, I remember like at orientation, I made friends with a couple of guys. I like, they, you know, a few of my friends joined the same fraternity and I was friends with them and I was hanging out with them all the time. And that's where there was this, I apologize. My phone is ringing through my laptop. Oh, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> there even we go. wear it there. Okay. Just kidding. That didn't happen. No. Um, <laughs> but then it was what you're talking about, that performance piece of like, I'm going to be the good girl. I'm going to be the group mom. Like I'm going to cook for everybody and I'm going to do this. And I'm and like all these aspects of, let me, let me, let me throw all of this at the wall and see what sticks. Like which one of these earns your affection. Mm. And, um, that is like, even though a lot of my classmates called me a feminazi, like very staunchly feminist in terms of what I believed in policies and views and like public policy and stuff like that. Um, and things that I thought it wasn't okay to, to say about women or, you know, stuff like that. I was still very much an active participant in misogyny and an active participant in sexism and like anti-woman conversations and rhetoric. And like, and it was, it was this very weird, (laughs) um, not weird, but, uh, this dissonance that just existed inside of me and I just didn't see it. And, um, you know, so I, I had posted this thing. My friend had messaged me. I I was like, Hmm. Okay. And I just sort of filed that away as like things to think about later. And it's like, but I have all these guy friends and they are, they are really good to me. So, and like my, I've had another, at that point, I had another female friendship that had fallen apart. And like, that's, that's an area. And we, we started to talk about this a little bit where people often talk about, you know, father wound and daddy issues for women at like relating to their romantic relationships and playing out, playing out, um, this sort of, um, chaser follower and, um, volatile dynamics inside of romantic relationships. And, you know, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't, I wasn't following that pattern and where it showed up for me more was in basically my inability to maintain a relationship with female friends. And like, that's where it was really showing up, which is where all this is headed. And I unfortunately had, um, an experience where I was sexually assaulted by one of my friends, by one of my guy friends in this fraternity full of my friends. And um, in the aftermath of that, I didn't receive any support from any of them. It was, well, he's my brother. Well, he's my friend too. Well, you know, I wasn't there. Well, I can't really say anything because X, Y, Z. And like, meanwhile, I had to go to class with all these people every day. And, um, that, that experience and what had led me into that experience, which was like, oh, this person wants me to go meet up with them. I show up and it's like, there's two guys paired off and this guy who's my friend who we've never had anything. Um, and suddenly there was this implicit expectation that I would show up and perform for him sexually. And it was like, no. And it actually wasn't even that person who had brought me into that space, um, who assaulted me. It was someone else <laughs> because the girl that he had intended to hook up with was had alcohol poisoning in the bathroom. 
And it was like this huge, messy situation. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I ended up like going home with and sleeping on the couch of like another guy that we knew instead of going back to my dorm. And I was just like, so afraid. Um, and that was a real break for me. That was a real, like, that was, there was a lot of growing, um, and finding things out about myself and investigating into myself that I've been doing up until that point. But that was like, okay, I'm doing something fundamentally wrong about how I'm approaching my relationships and how I'm approaching, approaching how I show up in the world. And there's something, even though I've like really mellowed out, even though I am a leader in my communities, even though, you know, lots of people show up for me in different ways, I, there is still something very imbalanced about what is happening in my, my social, emotional life. And I need to address that. With such Um, an important point. I think that's probably so common. It's almost like the, the things that we're identifying as the leader of this or excelling in my work, or it's like this overlay that nothing else in our lives could be wrong. And yet if we really stopped and took stock, which probably all of us have been doing the last five months, which is why we're all alcoholics and (laughs) (laughs) we're really ready for this. I am done self-assessing. Okay. It's been been five months, but (laughs) you do slow down and you really do take stock and you can't you can't cover up um, the parts of your life that are broken by the masks of the things that are going well. And I'm fascinated too by how many people's wounds are the reason why they are so successful because mm. you're being driven into success by that void that you never had filled as a child. But that's a that's another story for another day. But I find that really where once you start to look at it and assess it and or you just feel that something's off, um, what are the next steps? So brave, by the way, too. What what happens from that point that you recognize? Yeah. And it's I do want to say it's not like like, yes, I had, I had a number of transformative experiences, but that was one. And I actually, after that happened, I called my dad and I told him what happened. And I said, what can you do about this? Knowing that he was going to offer me, he was going to offer me a solution that I couldn't say yes to. And like, and that's so that's a whole like <laughs> what did he say I'm I'm unclear what he said when you yeah your dad um, with this issue. he offered to arrange violence visited upon the boys who are involved hmm. and had a means by which to do so and as a legitimate solution not a trope or a joke no as a legitimate solution as like, this is what we're going to do. Back. Such a, <laughs> the violence and the, da- I mean, this is so funny. Like the, the gun polishing of like violence against the dad and the suitors. It's like such a trope. That is. And that yeah. it, it's also so real. And I'm just feeling such an absence of the person at the center has been removed from the center because it's actually about you. Mm-hmm. And your pain and what you've just gone through. And this person who should be right at the heart of the matter is totally absent in this, you know, male, let's, let's just be violent now. 
and that somehow what? And it's also such an interesting thought as I think through somebody who's such a perpetrator. He never beat you. He never, but he had his girlfriends. What is the the mm-hmm. thing about like ultra misogynistic men, but daddy's little girl? It's a very, it's almost like that's their overlay that they're not misogynists. Mm-hmm. And oh, absolutely. Like that yeah, because is because I care math. for my little baby girl. Yeah. Yeah. I would do it's anything very, for my daughter so I can't be a misogynist. Mm. Exactly. Like, that's bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> oh, swear it up, girl. Bring okay, it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even uh, speak your truth. But yeah, and you're totally right. Like this, there's very much this this trope and this using using daughters as masks using daughters as like as a shield from yeah. to deflect anything and Very I never AOC thought about it that way it. of that decentering, like decentering of the person mm-hmm. who's actually supposedly important because what it is like their performance as a father is just that it's a performance they're not fathering they're not caring they're not nurturing they're they're um acting out these other impulses and finding other ways to direct them. And I can say pretty confidently, confidently for my father, you know, I was afraid of him, even though he never put, even though he never laid hands on me, I like, I still lived in fear of that. Like maybe not every second of every day. And surely, yes, I do have like good, happy memories of times with my dad, but you know, he, he used violence when he didn't feel like he was in control, mm-hmm. when he didn't feel like he could adequately control a situation. And because I, you know, showed up to every visit, showed up to every stretch of time that we spent together and showed up knowing that it was my job to perform and to be as big or as small, like you said, as he wanted me to be, then that like he had control. Yeah. He had control of that situation. And you know, there, there were situations, particularly when I was in high school, where he realized he was losing control. He was losing control over me and my thoughts and my words and my actions. And he would say things to me like, like, you're a bitch, just like your mom. Oh, God. And, and stuff like that. And in and, and kind of the breaking point of our, our relationship was... I shouldn't say the breaking point, but where everything really started to change and where I started to um, step into my power a little bit more. I was, I think I was about 15. I might've been even a little younger. Um, And he had moved to rural Oklahoma, like middle of nowhere. And I went to stay with him for the summer. And um, a number of the people that he had surrounded himself with, I mean, he, there had always been people around him that were, uh, I'll say unsavory, <laughs> um, you know, but a lot of them I, I grew up with and had this more like familial uncle-like relationship with. Well, now we were in this new place with these people that I did not know like that, um, who I was very much not comfortable around for a variety of reasons. Um, and a lot of it had to do with whose gaze was lingering on me and how long I was left alone with other people. And like, I, there was nowhere for me to run to. There was like, you know, even, even in my hometown, 
I knew people that I could call. I knew people that I could literally run to if like things were really bad. And I was in this situation where I did not have that anymore. And it was like, I felt it. I, I felt it very heavily. And that, that summer I had spent so, it was like my nerves were frayed. I was on the phone with friends of mine, like late at night, every night, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I can't stand it here and not in the regular, like angsty way, but like, I feel like I'm on edge all the time. I feel like I'm crying and I don't have anywhere that I can escape to. I don't have anywhere where I can just go be by myself. And, um, and there's no safe place here. And, uh, a couple at that time I start, I was, I spoke to my grandparents and I told my dad, I said, okay, I'm going to continue to come see you, but it has to be in Pennsylvania where my grandparents lived. We have to go stay with them. We, it has to be there. I, I, I can't do this, whatever, like this is not working for me and I can't do this. And, um, he obliged, uh, although it was obvious that that would not have been his preference, Mm -hmm. but I felt a lot safer being in a house with my grandfather in particularly who I knew that my dad respected. And I knew that my dad wouldn't do anything that would bring shame upon him in front of, and that became my protection. Not that my grandfather even knew everything that was going on or everything that I'd seen or that I'd been through, but I knew how my dad felt about him. And I used that as my protection. And a couple years, we did that for a couple years and it was one Christmas. Um, my dad has, I'm not sure if he still does, but the time he had issues with um, substance abuse and was um, an alcoholic. And I, I was like, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to come for Christmas, but I, you have to promise me that at least on Christmas, you're not going to drink. And like middle of the day on Christmas, he was already drunk and we were like heading to my aunt's place and I was furious. And it like, at the end of the day, we got home and I was supposed to be flying back to my mom's the next day. And he was just nitpicking at me from the couch. I just remember it was like one little thing after another about how I was like, like anal retentive and how I was lying to him about when my flight was because I was afraid he'd be late, which has happened many, many, many times. I've missed my plane so many times because he just couldn't be bothered to show up on time and like all this stuff and, and just like picking at me. And I just stood up in front of my grandparents and was like, you know what, dad, fuck you. And I just walked upstairs uh, <laughs> it's so fu- funny to sl- not funny haha but just an interesting thing to watch somebody you you highlight a few really important things about your dad respecting your grandpa and not to be like Miss Feminazi again but it really mm-hmm. does highlight in this patriarchal society in the way the power structures are formed the these wounds oftentimes are the results of us being crunched up in that in the gears of that system absolutely and so because you didn't mention that he respected you know your mom or his mom or any of these mm. other women decidedly did not made a point of not <laughs> yeah but he respects his dad and in that way you are this young girl who you know david foster wallace water is wet you're the fish in the fish fishpole you you sort of have a sense that things are off and yet 
this is your caretaker. And this is somebody whose job is to show you the ropes, instruct you of the ways of the world. And again, this is also the parts of the results of these wounds, which is that when our caretakers hadn't healed their own wounds, which they surely had from their caregivers and their societies, they're reinflicting those wounds. That's why if you haven't listened to the intergenerational trauma episode of this podcast, go back and listen to that one. I probably need to do a whole second one just speaking of that clinically because I did an intergenerational trauma healing on myself going back generations of why does why does any of this matter what your dad's childhood was like and what your grandparents who raised him what their childhoods were like well because this is the way in which these wounds are inflicted by children being so disoriented by their leaders. Uh, You're meant to be leading me in this way that leads me toward a life of happiness, of fulfillment and and purpose. And yet, again, since this is important for the societal wound, the values that we espouse as a society actually more often take us off course of those goals. And most of our parents did not do the healing to connect those dots, in which case you're leading these children sort of down the same road you're on a road to nowhere because you've never Mm -hmm. assessed it. And the children's intuition sitting there trying to lead them, lead them toward healthy boundaries, lead them toward self-advocacy, lead them toward something not quite right here. But yet, Mm -hmm. how do you really fully um, trust an intuition that was never you know, that muscle was never helped be flexed for you because your parents weren't. And yet they're there um, showing you a way that just feels very counter to what your intuition is saying. Like you mentioned before, cognitive dissonance. And it's a very disorienting experience. And most of us have been trained in that case then to second guess ourselves. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. And it's for some of us, not even until we're in our 30s or 40s or beyond that we ever really fully are able to look at this with any, um, I I guess logic is important to remove some of the emotion Mm -hmm. and shame out of it, but just clear eyes, right? Clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Just being able to see it for what it is Mm -hmm. and not layer on all the stories for me, at least layer on all the stories that I told myself about why something was happening. And instead stepping back and having that clarity of being able to see like, that was messed up. Like, yeah, <laughs> And it doesn't matter. There aren't actually, regardless of all the stories I told myself, there are actually zero reasons that that should have happened. Mm-hmm. Like there's zero reasons I should have felt like that. Mm-hmm. There, there are no, there are no good ones. And how do I teach myself to feel differently? Because this that you touched on this earlier of like, um, you know, my mom and I for a long time had a pretty contentious relationship. And um, she's like my best friend now. So <laughs> uh, it definitely, you know. Um, do you think some of that was that your dad and the internalized massage, the same way you were approaching your girlfriend? Yes. It was yes. him sowing those seeds of division and you... Mm -hmm. absorbed it and the fruit grew from that okay absolutely and it you know it was it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was honestly like a huge piece that 
it took me a long time to figure out. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to figure out that the poison in my relationship with my mom was my dad and things he said and secrets she was carrying for him. That's and a good like, point. I mean, we cannot underscore that enough of how much once you've been given bad information, you will forge an entire path based on that information. And that mm-hmm. is why this is so important because that can take you so far off the mark. And yet you had no idea that that happened. Yes. Mm. And going back to like intuition is so in my work, I work with intuition a lot in my professional life. And um, I was fortunate to have the circumstances in a, in a pretty pivotal moment for myself to be able to like say, okay, I'm going to focus on me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to figure out me what I actually am in this world instead of I've always uh, considered myself a chameleon in um, sort of wore that as like a badge. Mm -hmm. I can, I can fit into any situation. I can shape shift and mold to be at home or like one of any group. And (laughs) that's um, in some ways that is a good thing. In some ways that is a skill that it, that, that allows me into spaces that maybe I wouldn't be allowed in otherwise, but it's also a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so when you live like that, when you live like constantly trying to be a reflection of what someone wants to see, instead of just showing up as yourself, it's disorienting is the word when you step back and are like, okay, well, if I'm not doing that, like I couldn't be by myself. I'm not even, I, I, for a long time believed I was an extrovert and I am not um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I couldn't be by myself because I didn't know who that was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was spending time with. And I like, couldn't, I couldn't sit with all of that. Um, and so it, that's know, an important point though, too. I think it's really, really interesting. I've heard a lot of other people describe these say, I would, we need to make a name for them. Like trauma informed, you know, like beneficial traits. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> because I have them too. I know I have them too. And and I marvel that like, I know that that came from a certain trauma that I experienced and yet it's such a beneficial trait that serves me. So I wouldn't take it away. But yeah. part of it is that I think some of it though, is in like a light and shadow side. I've been marveling at this as I heal my codependency, that there's so many benefits I retain, but they're coming from a core of strength now, rather than weakness to Mm -hmm. please myself, rather than to please somebody else. So I think that's an important distinction along those lines. But how did you get to this point? What's the bridge toward a slow waking up, a slow realization, these seminal moments that... Um, gave you pause to then actually what did the work look like and the end result of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, such a great question. So it's messy and it's a lot of backsliding and then running back up. And then there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like a lot of that. And um, in the shadow work, it's like as soon as you peel one thing back and shine a light on it, it's like, oh, and there's something else under there. Oh, and maybe a little more like it's Mm -hmm. constant unfolding. I'm I'm gonna do a whole podcast on the shadow, but for anybody who doesn't understand what that is, can you describe that? Yeah. So my experience with shadow work is, um, it's you know it's looking at the subconscious self. It's looking at the motivations, experiences, drivers, beliefs 
that live um, in the part of ourselves. I mean, I think psychologically we talk about like the subconscious part of our mind. I think about it as like in the deep recesses of my heart, mm-hmm. um, these things that, that live in the chasms, um, that the are opened up by self, right? Like yeah. The parts you've also mm-hmm. cut off for you a turn away from to, to mm-hmm. label it in something like less esoteric when you're talking about this mask that you've perceived your dad was asking you to wear for the performance. It's the person you denied being to wear that mask or play that role and all of the parts that you denied to perform a performance that you buried, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's witnessing them and acknowledging them. It's really skeletons in the closet. Yeah. In some it ways. Absolutely is. And it's yeah. digging that stuff up is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important though, right? It's yeah. really important. So for me, you know, it started with this recognition of something is not right in my relationships and particularly in my friendships, like something's not, mm-hmm. something's not right here. Um, and starting to see that. And then it was looking at the career that I was pursuing. My dad worked in construction for the majority of his life. And I was in this construction engineering program. Um, and it was like, why am I doing this? And, you know, and all the internships that I'd had and which I'd been largely afforded because I had this chameleon nature. Um, it was very obvious that like I was not wanted or welcome in a lot of those places uh, just because I was a woman, uh, which is something like I actively, actively uh, bucked against because it's like, no, but like I'm one of you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fundamentally untrue. Um, and then even when I shifted and was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to shift away from this. I know I don't want to do this. The thing that I went to next was still like a very, it was finance and I worked in consulting, but that's still a very patriarchal model. Um, and still not one that's very, you know, doesn't embrace a lot of feminine traits, doesn't embrace a lot of like feminine, um, you know, mindset and, and even just the way that they work and the way that those, those companies are structured and, I also have a chronic illness. And so that's another layer on this of during a big portion of um, what I was experiencing and starting to unfold in my relationships in college, uh, I was also suffering under an illness that didn't have a name and I had no treatment for. And I, as soon as I had a diagnosis for that, it felt like I could do something about it. And starting to dig into that, digging into um, how do I heal myself? How do I take care of myself in the ways that Western society is not taking care of me is really what opened the door for me personally. I think that there are different roads, different ramps, um, different paths that everyone finds to sort of that information. And while cognitively, intellectually, I had been investigating and inspecting these these wounds inside of myself and, um, you know, these, these habits and beliefs that I had built, um, or adopted that were not healthy for me. It was that like starting to look at, okay, well, what are some other ways that I can approach this or think about this? And it started with like yoga, like just being in my body, which having, I can't like, it doesn't have to be yoga, but like just being in your body after trauma or with the light of trauma, like fully realized, like having that clarity is a 
transformative experience. So however mm-hmm. it is that you get into your body, like that was, that's still to this day is really important to me and really important to my process and how I take care of myself. And then it was, um, embracing to, it, from the spiritual sense, embracing the divine feminine within myself. That was a huge part of my healing process. And what tangibly, what did that look like? Like the math? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with, um, like accepting that I didn't want to work in a male dominated field, even though I could, like mm-hmm. that was one, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one thing, um, because that had been placed and not just in, you know, in my family, but societally, like male dominated fields are considered to have like higher steam, um, and saying like, actually, I think maybe that's not true. And then it was, um, you know, starting to let my heart lead where I was going next and to let my heart make decisions instead of my head. Mm -hmm. Now I found a better balance, but I went through a big phase where it was like, if my heart's not in it, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, I'd get into a job and I'd learn a job and then I'd realize like my heart wasn't in it. And I would just put in my two weeks notice. It drove my husband crazy. He was not a Mm -hmm. fan of this phase of my Mm -hmm. life. Um, <laughs> I can be like that too. What I, I know I've said to myself, like I've, again, like people are so interested in that. Like it's, I always say too, it's simple, but it's not easy. And no, everybody doesn't want to hear the same thing. It's meditation. It's yoga. It's breath work. You know, it's shadow work. It's therapy. Like it's reading a book. It's listening to it's all of these huge. things. Therapy is huge. <laughs> but I'm, I'm always trying to give people ideas that they haven't heard of or haven't considered. But you highlight too that like somebody who wants to help themselves, it is a conversation like this. This podcast right now could serve as that illuminating moment like your friend. That doesn't mean you're going to heal it tomorrow. It means if this resonated with you, your the journey is yours to heal yourself. The methods are laid out. People are saying different things. I know when I, I was struggling with that too, with it um, in my head a lot, which is overwhelming. It makes you feel mentally ill. It is, um, there's so many ways in which that feels when your head is overactive and you're overthinking. And I would literally have to be sitting still and tell myself to go to my heart and be like thinking in my heart like it was a brain you know, that same kind of experience that you experienced of knowing that like my heart chakra, whatever, however you want to phrase it was off balance and that I needed to be more there. And that I'd even, I went and got a massage um, after I'm going to make a TikTok about this, but here's another tangible one. Um, Laura Anderson, who was on this show, a couple of podcasts back about religious trauma Um she had reposted on her story. What's his name? Dr. Something, Dr. Brantley, something Bentley. I don't, I can't remember what it is, but he has a great Instagram about myofascial release because trauma is actually like stored in your body. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I called a few places seeing where they had like myofascial um, therapists. So she, she worked on me and gave me some feedback about where she thought I was storing the trauma. I felt um, very joyful. I didn't have like a 
cry on the table. Um, you know, have you ever been to a massage where they're telling, like, the therapist is talking about how that'll happen to people that as they're working oh, through the body? It's never <laughs> happened to me. It's never happened to me that, like, all of a sudden they touch some point where I'm storing trauma and through their body work on it that I have this release. I dream of that. I think it would be so cool. I didn't, but I will say I felt totally from my heart space for the rest of that day. And she had said, she's like, even your body, your bot, your shoulders have grown in forward, almost like you have been protecting your heart. And I was like, yeah, yes. sounds about right. Sounds yes, about right. Real. Yes, it is. And she said it was um, root, some root chakra stuff too, that I didn't, didn't feel grounded, which is true. I, I, I feel grounded in some senses. And again, this is why it's deceiving, but in other senses, I feel very untethered is how I'm describing it. So that these are the kinds of things too, when it, it, you can't in some ways do this work alone. That was really great feedback that corroborated sort of what I already knew on some level, but it was a deeper invitation having it confirmed by a second party that that's what I needed to do. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> if a myofascial, if a fascia release is an interesting idea to you, something to explore, or hopefully there's been a riff of like, could it be you've, you've protected your heart that you're not leading enough from your heart? How do you begin to do work that opens your heart? There's all kinds mm -hmm. of information for that out there, but. Um, and my guys gave me a little tap on the shoulder because I've been trying to like, I am an energy healer and I'm an intuitive guide and that's what I do for work now. That's like, that's my whole business. That's my whole life. Um, and that's all informed by my journey and my story, both through um, familial trauma and through chronic illness and like those things together. But I've been trying really hard not to be like, to not be like, well, you need to do Reiki and tarot readings are amazing and work with the moon <laughs> because that's all stuff that I do. So I'm, I'm trying not to make it be like... <laughs> Hey, but it's probably not for everybody, but it's for somebody, multiple please. somebodies for sure. Just as much self-promote. Come on. Don't. I, that's my big, I, that's a, that's my trauma. Not, not to self-promote. Oh, to just play so small. Like can yes. I have a little crumb, you know, I'll just wait but, for my crumb. Mm. Like for me, the diving into my intuition and saying like, for me, that's a huge part of like feminine energy and the divine feminine is saying like, you know what, actually, as a woman, I have innate inner knowing that is real and just as valid as anything else. And just like accepting that. And the big way that I've worked with that and developed that in my life is through tarot cards. And some people like Oracle cards, some people like getting readings, some people like doing readings for themselves. I think all are valid, but it's like, whether it's that or reading runes or doing meditation or, you know, whatever, finding that inroad to your intuition and to your inner knowing. And part, and I think that starts with your body, like getting into your body and being comfortable in your body and then seeing where those messages show up. Mm -hmm. And with like, you talked about some of the chakra, I work with chakras all day. <laughs> so I get real excited about it. Um, but I think, you know, massage is often, um, is like kind of the first pe place people stop, I think, on on one-on-one -on -one self care, like getting receiving care from another person. You said something really important that we can't do this alone. You can't go on this journey by yourself. And absolutely, I think that we all are empowered to do our own healing and to be our own guides. Um, 
But that was huge for me, was learning to accept help from other people, learning to learn from other people, learning to try things that, you know, not so many years ago, I would have literally scoffed at and like, learning that a big one is when someone else invites me into something or someone else suggests something for me to say yes. That's like the first reason I did acupuncture. I had a nurse who was like, you have this awful tension in your shoulder. Have you tried acupuncture? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I, I ended up getting referred to an acupuncturist who was equal parts um, like physical and spiritual and would talk about like the, the physical associations of different things, but also the, um, you know, emotional or body stored uh, information in each of those points and would talk to me about that stuff and like what was showing up. And I had these, ex I had these experiences on the acupuncture table, not crying, but I would have like, I'll say like dreams <laughs> while I was on the table that were just wild. And I would have experiences after I left that were to me felt very real. Like I remember one specifically, there was this huge white moth on my apartment door when I came home from a particular, particularly powerful session. And I was like, it felt so, I don't know, important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not that yeah, I like it was a message, like it was personal to you. It was tailored. Yeah. It was it was something. It wasn't just a, it's hard to describe those things. And it does always, when, when I talk about it, I'm like, never mind, abort. Because it's, it's, a, it's a feeling, it's a, it's a thing, it's a knowing that you cannot prove to anybody else because they didn't feel it and experience it. But yeah, I'm, I'm with it with that stuff. Well, where can people find you? Because if they are yeah. interested in working with you or exploring your work or what you could offer mm -hmm. them in their healing, I would love for them to be able to find you. Yeah. So my business is called Lake Anima, which is lake, just like it sounds, A-N-A-M-A. -A -A. Um, you can find me at lakeanima.com. My Instagram handle is Sydney, spelled like Australia underscore moves. Um, and I post a lot of content there, but I like, I extend this to everyone. This is just part of my service to the world. If anyone just wants to have a conversation, like no strings, this is not like a sales call. It's not anything like that. If anyone just wants to have a conversation about energy work, about metaphysical stuff, about an intuition and figuring out like, maybe you're kind of interested, but you really don't think that Reiki's it or whatever. Um, I would love to have a conversation and just like talk to you about what you think um, about different things and try to help you find what the right on-road is for you. I talk about that a lot is like, you know, everything I do is really about healing. And I think everyone has a different gate. We're not all coming on, like we're not all coming onto the highway on the same exit. We're all coming in from different places and that's okay. Um, and I love to help people find their place, even if it's not, even if it's not one that I am directing or involved with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's so generous. How beautiful. Well, the dog is going to have his own caretaker wound. He's been <laughs> whining outside the door. This is very much how these wounds are formed, right? You're crying out yeah. for your caretaker and they're letting you cry. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, and one more thing. Okay, here's one more tangible. What do you think of this? You mentioned it before. Um, as you were sort of waking up to the way that you were doing things, like the results you were getting in your relationships were so off. I've woken up to that so many times. And I think even no matter how much work you've done, 
you will still like, I still feel it like, oh my God, I'm like, just so fundamentally wrong. Like I'm just off because these wounds and these traumas and these, you know, ways that weren't me, this cultural voice to the caretaker voice, the religious voice on top of me just led me into some places that are just not me. But um, I'm, I'm going to experiment with this. I did a just witness of the program a few weeks ago. And that was really illuminating, like no judgment, just watch your program playing out. But now this week, I'm going to literally do the opposite of what my first inclination would be and see what that does for me. Because sometimes right left to our own devices Mm -hmm. on the automatic program, we're not making the choice that would have been the more evolved choice. So I'm just like, hell, that's going to be a shakeup. That's going to be a a big thinker for like, mm-hmm. huh, well, that was interesting that I did that. Or why, why would I have made that? Like, I just call it default mode. So it's taking yourself out of default mode. So there's one more, but anyway, I it's, that. yeah, I think, I think it's gonna be interesting. our, mm. our, like our shadow selves, right? it acts out in ways that are very logical that are like, ah, yes, this makes sense because of these underlying belief systems. And a lot of Mm. times there's other parts of our society that inform that and say, yes, that's a good choice. For example, like always wanting to say yes, like never wanting to disappoint anyone and always wanting to grow and expand and say yes to fit into whatever somebody's asking for or needing. Like that's part of that whole, like, just start saying no, like no is a complete sentence. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's an easy dichotomy for me because that's one I struggle with a lot. Um, but when you go, cause it's not going against your nature, it's yeah. going against your programming Correct. and that's different. Yes. And conditioning. Exactly. Love it. Well, I'll have to report back next week. <laughs> that's something yeah. to look forward to when we cover the mother wound. But again, Sydney, this has been so, so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Sydney for being here with us today and for offering her story and wisdom so generously. And thank you for listening and for getting something out of this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love if you shared it with a friend or loved one or someone who could be served by hearing these words. And I so appreciate as well your ratings, your reviews, your feedback. Thank you for connecting with me on TikTok at natalie.q or on Instagram at natalieq. If it would serve you, please go to my website where I offer you a free 21-day accountability journal. Um, It's a habit replacement workbook. It's a very meaty free gift, so my gift to you. And while you're there, you can peruse the blog or also connect with me um, and see how I might be able to work with you one-on-one with my services that I offer you there. Thank you so much to Antelope the Wild for his use of our theme music, which is his song Body Trouble. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week talking about the mother wound. Be well.